All right, we're back in Mark again, and this will close out chapter 13, and we'll start chapter 14 next week. But it's interesting, because I'm tagging off of uh, the section that you all have preached, which you did a great job last week, and I'm very thankful for him. You did a wonderful job. How many of you are busy right now? Not this second, but I mean in your life. Your life is just super busy right now, Okay. And those of you who didn't raise your hand, God will forgive you for lying, okay? So <laughs> life is busy, 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 busier than we think it's ever been. The way our world has changed, it has added more stuff. Our jobs have increased because the world changed, the way we do things have changed, and there's been more responsibility, more requirements set upon you, and uh, sometimes for, you know, the same amount of money, Okay? They're not paying you much better to do the job that you were doing, plus everything else that's got piled on. But there's ten, we tend to do this in our world. We tend to have funnel, funnel vision. I was thinking of funnel cakes. I don't know why that came to mind. Okay, maybe because I'm hungry. Okay? We have tunnel vision. You ever notice everything's like this and, we, and not much out here is noticed and things are forgotten? I've told you I got saved at the end of the Jesus movement. And one of the things that was, that was, how can I say, it was foremost in the Jesus movement was that the idea that Jesus is coming back someday. And it was proclaimed, it was sung about. We had goofy little songs that were, you know, we sang, we would, you know, greet each other, and it's really true. We would get, when I would go to hot coffee houses and sing and stuff, people would greet me and go, man, he's coming back. Yeah, he's coming back. And we would remind each other. We just did the, what we call the Lord's Supper or communion, and in that, that passage it says, do this, and you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But I really think that we've forgotten about that, and why do I think that? For this reason. Because if you notice our hope has waned. What do I mean by that? When we have, when problems come up, when situations come up, many times we, we fold under them. We, we panic over them. But we have to realize something, that this world is technically, as a believer, this world is not our home. We've done like what, uh, what the 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 Hebrews did when they went to Babylon. Now, God told them to do this. He said, relax, because it's going to be a little while. But he didn't say that to us. He said, go there, plant vineyards, do this and do that, settle in, because you're going to be here for a while. But he never said that to believers. He always said, I'm coming back, be ready. But we've settled in. Our life is here. Let's read from Mark. Mark chapter 13, verse 24. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will, give, will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth his angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth 
to the farthest end of heaven. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in, the case, in, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Now let me lay out a few things for you real quick. Here's the scene. Here's the sequence of events leading up to his coming. Okay, this is before and during the tribulation. We saw this last week. There's going to be great deception in verses 5 through 6. Wars and rumors of wars. Persecution of believers. Abomination of desolation in the temple. What was that? You all have explained it. Okay? It's the Antichrist. Now some believe it's going to be a statue. Some believe he's going to actually sit there. And some believe both. Doesn't matter. He's going to show up. Okay? Be fleeing for safety. A time of great tribulation. False Christ will arise. This is, it almost sounds like the news today, if you really think about it. There's going to be great deception. Look at what's going on in our government, okay? Wars and rumors of war. Also, back up. Look what's going on in the church. Solid deceptions going on. Wars and rumors of wars. We got that. Persecution of believers. That's beginning. Wake up, okay? The abomination of desolation in the temple. Well, that didn't happen yet, okay? There were some signs of that. When the temple was destroyed, there was a, a little abomination, but it wasn't what Jesus was talking about. And before, it happened when they were being taken away. Same thing, but it's not that. Fleeing for safety. That happened when the temple was destroyed. That's what that section was about. But see, we've got to understand something, that Jesus, in that first section, mingled the destruction of the temple in, for AD, in AD 70 with his coming again. And so we have to be wise and discern which is which. Okay? A time of great tribulation is building up, and false Christ will arise. That's been going on for centuries. Why am I saying it that way? Now, I want you guys to hang on today. Okay? This may sound, okay, big deal. It is probably the biggest deal you're going to hear in a long time. I'm not going to explain to you when the tribulation's coming. We're not going to talk about pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, or pre-wrath. Those are four different views of the tribulation. We're not going to talk about premillennial or amillennial. You're going, what is amillennial? It's boring. <sighs> okay? It's, it's wonderful theology. Don't get me wrong. I was just joking with that. But we're not going to talk about all this stuff. Because you know what? All of them can be proven very well, and it's like, you're going, then what's the truth? It's all true. We don't know when he's coming back. Okay? So, now, 
Having told the disciples everything about the fall of the temple, Jesus jumped years into the future to inform them of his second coming. Now, I want to explain something real quick, very briefly, but I want to explain something. There is a difference between the rapture and the second coming. The rapture is not the second coming of Christ. But we've taught it that way. Some have said it that way. All the hippies who say, man, he's come back to rapture. Yeah! Look it up. You know, people have dressed in white and stood on hills on certain days waiting for that to happen, and it didn't show up. Okay? We don't know. But let me explain something real quick, give you a quick definition. Here's the rapture. Here's what the rapture is. Okay? The rapture is the return of Christ in the clouds to remove all believers from the earth before the time of God's wrath. Okay? Believers who have died will have their bodies resurrected along with the believers who are still living will meet the Lord in the air. This will occur in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. There you go. That's the rapture. It's not the second coming. Now, some believe that the rapture is going to come, and then immediately we're going to go from the clouds back to the earth, and the millennial kingdom is going to start. That's great. If that's what you believe, that's fine. That's cool. But if that's true, then we got to go through the wrath. We got to go through all the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Now, it's easy to go, well, okay, then I'm going to be pre trib because I don't want to go through that. I'm going to be mid trib because I don't want to go through that. I'm going to be pre wrath, which is right past, just a smidgen past mid trib, okay, because I don't want to go through that. And then there's ones that are just a pessimist that are over here, I want to go through it, I want to do it because we're it, we don't know. We really don't know, and it, some theologians are rolling over in the grave when I'm saying this. We don't know. It can be proven all these different ways. I'm saying this because it's not to not study it. You should study this. You should get books on this. You should read your Bible about it. Remind yourself that he's coming back. If he takes us all the way through the seven years and then takes us out at the end, takes us up and then brings us right back almost immediately for the millennial kingdom to be established, then great. He will sustain us as he did his people in Egypt. He'll sustain us. He'll get us through. The church has to be purified. That's a great thing. If he takes us out pre-wrath, praise God. We went through the first three and a half, a little more years, great. If he takes us out mid-trib, great. If he takes us out before it all begins, that's fine too. Here's what the second coming is. The second coming is the return of Christ to the earth, bringing the, tri uh, bringing the tribulation to an end and defeating the Antichrist and his evil kingdom. That's the second coming. Because the second coming is this. When he comes and his foot hits the Mount of Olives and it splits, he's going to come back again. Jesus is coming back. And those who have rejected him, he will deal with. And it will be very hard. Okay, now that I've either bored you or scared you to death, here's what we're going to talk about. In the charismatic world, there's a, there's a saying, and it's constantly used all the time, there's suddenlies in the prophetic, there's suddenlies. Oh, God's going to bring a suddenly in your life. God's going to bring a suddenly in, in, in this situation. He's going to come suddenly and do this. And you're like, great, fine. We have our catchphrases. The suddenly is this. Time is short. 
Jesus Christ is coming again. Life and history are moving on to Christ. The call is for us to be alert and watch for his return. That's the suddenly. Here we go. Look at verse 24, back in Mark 13. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will, be, will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Let me show you something here. Let's look at 27. And he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Now, this is the second coming. Meaning what? He says, but in those days after the tribulation, Jesus has warned the 12 about the horrific time of tribulation. Such has not occurred since the beginning of creation. Woven into the destruction of the temple, he warned them of this. He now begins to tell them of his return. Let's go on. I'm going to hold on to my comments for a few minutes. What's going to happen? The sun and moon will be darkened. The stars will be falling. The heavens will be shaken. At the end of the tribulation period, the seven years, the very structure of our world and universe will be thrown into disarray, but not total destruction. Why? Because it has to be established for the millennial reign of Christ. What's going to happen? From what we read here, and understand if I would have done what I wanted to do, we would be here till 7 o'clock tonight. Thank you. Okay? Some will go, yeah, do it. Stay to 7. Let's, you know, others are going, I'm hungry. I want to go home. So I'm not going to do that today. I want you to study for yourselves. We may do a study like this on a Wednesday night, but understand, I can't even begin to scratch the surface in the time I got this morning. So I'm just going to tell you things, look them up, okay? Now, what do I mean? Jesus is saying that one of the signs of his second coming is going to be this. The heavens are going to be shaken. The stars are going to fall. Look at, look at uh, verse 24. It says, the sun will uh, be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Now, some of taken that and put it away and said it's just a poetic language. That is not poetic language. Why do I say this? Because of this. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, he says that he, meaning Jesus, upholds all things by the word of his power. Jesus created all of it. John chapter 1 says that. Colossians tells us that. Hebrews tells us that. Jesus created the heavens and the earth. And when he comes, one of the signs is there's going to be planets moved out of their position. The sun is going to get dark. It's not an eclipse. It's going to go dark. This is going to be a horrific, scary moment when he shows up. Now, let me show you something. Turn to Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah chapter 13. I'm going to start in verse 9. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, with fiery, with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven 
and their constellations will not flash before their light, will not flash forth their light. And the sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will make mortal man scarcer than pure gold and mankind than the gold of um, up higher. Let's keep going. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken from its place and the fury of the Lord, Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. Turn with me now to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. Look at verse 10. Before them the earth quakes, the heavens tremble, and the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great, for strong is he who carries out his word. And the day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome. Who can endure it? This is what's coming. This is what's going to happen. This is what Jesus is tell us, telling us about. At the end of the tribulation, seven years, the very structure of our world and universe will be thrown into disarray, not total destruction. Who's going to bring this about? Then look back in Mark chapter 13, verse 26. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send forth his angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Who's going to do this? Jesus. Christ will gather believers who are alive on the earth, having come to saving faith under the tribulation and survived. Both Jew and Gentile believers will be gathered from all across the world, including the 144,000 Jews who were supernaturally protected during the tribulation. Revelation chapter 7, verse 4 through 9. Revelation 14, verses 1 through 5. This is what's going to happen. He's going to come. He's going to gather his people. Now, this is where many believe that it's after the tribulation. Some, as this brother did, was believing it was before the tribulation. Some believe it's after. No matter what, he's going to gather his people. We're going to go. Hear me on this. We're going to go. But we sit and we worry about the stuff in our lives when we don't realize that he's coming back. This is temporal. This is just for a moment. This is a, a flash in the pan. When he comes and takes us home, that's for eternity. We'll never deal with this stuff again. So what are we saying in this area? Who's your hope? Does your hope lie in what's going on with your job? Does the hope lie in the government? Does the hope lie in, in, in your friends? Does your hope lie? I'm going to say this even in your spouse. Where does your hope lie? Because here's the bottom line. If you're not born again, if you've not repented of your sins, asked for forgiveness, accepted Christ's sacrifice as we, we showed in the, uh, the, the Lord's Supper this morning, if you've not accepted that, then the Bible says you're going to be one of those ones that are going to be under the wrath. And God's going to judge. And it's eternal separation from him. His very presence. I read that this morning in 2 Thessalonians. If we're not born again, if this world is our home, if this world is what we love, if this world is what we trust in, then we're not trusting in God. 
I want to see us get back to the day, the day when we say he's coming. He's coming again. Thank you. I'm not kidding you. All those weird hippies, they used to say it all the time to each other. He's coming back. He's coming again. Yeah. They get all excited. Dude, far out. It's groovy. He's coming back. And they would almost get tears, and some would get tears in their eyes. But we've forgotten that because we settled in. We settled into Babylon. Jesus said, when the signs appear, his return is near, even at the door. The signs point to the immediacy of his return. And, I, and there's so many things I wanted to go. You can ask my wife. I was dreading preaching this because there was so much I wanted to say, and I knew I couldn't pack it in in just a few minutes. And Yoab was feeling the same way. He would call me, there's so much. I only got 45 minutes. I said, yes. That's why he was freaking out, and he kept looking at the clock the whole time. That's why I'm looking at the clock. But then I'm going to forget it, so you're doomed. <laughs> okay. Here's an illustration. Look at this. So we got, we got what? What do we get? He's coming back. We saw it very briefly. Jesus warns the disciples and those that are listening, he's coming back. Now, look at verse 28. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know the summer, that summer is near. Let's keep going. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But on that day, of that, but of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Now, Here's the example, the fig tree. Jesus continued by using a simple illustration to emphasize the appropriate response to his words of warning. He told the disciples to what? Learn from the parable of the fig tree. And that's interesting because the word learn means this. We think it means like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm checking it out. That's not what this word learn means. It means this. It's in an imperative mode, conveying the idea of accepting something as true and applying it to one's life. So if we believe this stuff is true, if we believe that Jesus is coming back, it's time to apply it to our lives and start thinking that way, believing that way, moving that way, make it a focal point in our lives. I've had people tell me, believers, tell me, well, you know, the church has an escapism, you know, mentality. And I go, explain. I know what they're talking about. Well, they're just so, Jesus is going to come and rescue me from this whole thing. That's, it's an escapism. When God wants us here doing his work, yes, he does. It's not an escape mentality. But then again, it is. Is there anything wrong with that? If you're living in a place that you really don't want to live, and there's turmoil, and there's strife, and there's tribulation, and there's pain, do you want out? Yes, but will you make it through by the grace of God? Yes, but your hope is in him because he will take you home. He will take you out of it. It even says that he will rescue us. The coming day of the Lord is a rescue for the believer and it's horror for the unbeliever. Y'all still with me this morning? 
Okay, good. Because we're looking at that, okay, I got a glaze that just is moving over my eyes. Don't. Hang on. I promise we're almost done. Okay? The word learn, we saw it, accepting something is true. Now, here's the admonishment. He says, when you see these things happening, in the same way that one can predict the coming of summer based on the arrival of tree leaves in the spring, so believers at the end of the age will be able to anticipate Christ's return when they witness these things. Namely, the catastrophic events Jesus had predicted would mark the future tribulation. When we see these things happening, when I watch, the, you know, I watch Fox News, that's about the only news I watch. Uh, you're all going, it's good. Some are going, why? Okay. When I see some of the things that are happening and I watch the turn that our society has taken, it's part of the sign that he's coming again. When we see this stuff, our world, there's no moral absolutes anymore. When you can't tell somebody what a woman is, or you won't, and you won't make that distinction, there's something wrong. With all the stuff that's happening in our world, there's something wrong. Something terribly wrong. And it's called sin. And there will come a moment where the Holy Spirit will pull back. If we think it's bad now, the Word says, the one who restrains will pull back. And when he does, all hell's going to break loose. Jesus said, when you see these things, understand. Then he said this. Look at verse 31. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the uh, Father alone. The authority is, we got one. In the illustration, we saw an example. We saw an admonishment when he said, when you see these things. And then he tells us, the authority behind everything he said. The authority is that my words will not pass away. This generation, where it says this generation now, this has been a controversial thing. To me, it was simple, even when I didn't really know theology. It was like, duh, is he talking about now? Probably not. Was he talking to the uh, disciples saying, it's your generation? No, because he was prophesying the future so he's talking about the future generation, that one that is right there at the tribulation. They will see these. And when they see these things, they're not going to pass away before they see the Son of Man come. It's simple. There's nothing to it. He wasn't talking to the disciples. But yet again, if you really want to look at it, the things that he told them in the first part of this chapter about the destruction of the temple, he says you're going to see it. Some of you will see this. But really what this is talking about is that generation that is there just before he comes again. They're going to see this stuff. And they're going to see the return of Christ. What the Lord has said about his return and, and the end of the age is unalterable. Why? Because of his word. He says it will happen exactly as he said it would because his words cannot falter or fail. I've known people that have given up because they didn't see the Lord's return. And they said, he lied. It wasn't true. I knew people who just disregard the coming of Christ and the rapture. They disregard it. Because they say, it's, it's just poetical, it's no big deal. It's not, it's not true, it's not, he's not coming again like that. 
It's all poetry talking about some tough times in the world. No, it's not. But of that day, he says, or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. The Lord's statement excluded the possibility that anyone could accurately predict his imminent return. If you've watched Christian TV before, you see that there's many, many, many people that are predicting his return, and they give dates, and they give times, and they give this, and they give that. No one knows, and every one of them so far have been wrong. We don't know. It's going to be a surprise. That's why it's called like a thief in the night. It's going to be a surprise. We're not going to know. It's just going to be that quick. Are you ready? Are you ready? The Lord's statement excluded it, that there's no way you could even know and predict his return. Now, here's one thing. Let's look at verse 33. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who, upon leaving his house, putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also com commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming back, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. This is interesting because it tells us what we're supposed to be doing while we wait. The command is to take heed and keep on the alert. Again, the image here we're looking at is that of a servant, that of a slave. This appears in Jesus' language. And I know we, we talked about this. And we got to understand something. We are sons and we are daughters. We are heirs to the kingdom. But we are also servants and slaves of Christ. We belong to him. We accepted him. And accepted his rule and reign in our life. We belong to him. It's not something bad. It's not something terrible. And that's what the language is here that Jesus is showing us. Jesus tells the disciples that they should be uh, like slaves or servants who have been given two things from their master to do while we're waiting. And what is that? He's given us authority and he get, he's given us work to do. Look what he says in that passage again. Look at verse 33. Take heed, keep on the alert, and you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his own task. Each one of us have something that God called us to do. And what's happening in the church, I talked, I talked to two pastors this week, and they're lamenting on what's going on in their church. Because, and I'm going to say this, forgive me, but people are now so online that they're not in-house. And when they're not in-house and they're online, they just get what they want online, and that's it. But they're not serving anywhere. We are to serve one another. We are to encourage one another. Even with the words, he's coming back. When I look at Rich and I go, he's coming back, Rich. Praise God. Praise God. What does that do? You're going, it looks dumb. No, it really doesn't. It, what it means is I'm encouraging him. That's an encouragement. That's saying, hang on. Keep doing what God's called you to do. 
Keep going forward. Keep moving forward. Hang on. He's coming back. He hasn't abandoned us. If someone is coming back, that means he hasn't abandoned us. And we're supposed to be encouraging one another, strengthening one another, serving one another, helping one another, teaching, preaching, you know, encouragement, admonishing, correcting when needed. I need you in my life. You need me. You need each other. When someone needs prayer, we should be praying. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Jesus left, put his people in charge of his church. And you know what I mean by that? Don't freak out when I me saying that, okay? He put us in charge. He gave pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, apostles. He gave all that for the church. He gave each other to each other. And he said, serve one another, bless one another, help one another, encourage one another. That's the assignment while we're waiting for him to come take us home. Then he said this. He's given us authority. Because when he gave us something to do, what did he do? He gave us authority to do it. It's like when you, you as the parents, and you first leave your kids at home alone because they're old enough. And you're going, okay. We're going to go out on a date, me and mommy. You guys are old enough to take care of the house and take care of each other, okay? What do we do? We gave them authority that they probably weren't quite ready for, maybe. And you come home and you find your house trash and they had a party, okay? But he gave them authority while you went, went away, but you were coming home. And you were hoping that they did what? Fulfill what you asked them to do. It's the same with the Lord. Are you fulfilling the call of God on your life? The caution was this. In case you, he should come suddenly and find you asleep. Like obedient doorkeepers, we must keep constant watch so that we are prepared to welcome our master upon his arrival. You know, this week I've been listening. I probably listened to it about 30 times easy. And I was going to play it for you, but I didn't want to do it because it would probably bore some of you. But um, my music tastes are very eclectic. I can go from rock and roll to classic music. I'm not called classic rock. That's good too. But classical to everything in between. But I love, I love old-time gospel quartets because it's fascinating to me. Why? I've sang them before, but it's fascinating that people can harmonize like that. And there's a song that has been played. It's called The Midnight Cry. Some of you probably have heard it. Some of you haven't. And it's a great song. But I was, I, I said, you know what? It popped into my head as I was studying this. And I'm driving home on Thursday. <clears throat> I guess it was Thursday, Thursday or Wednesday. And I had it on my, my phone. I had my earbuds in. I was listening to it. And I almost couldn't drive. I was crying. Because it just, it took me off guard in a wonderful way. It says, at the midnight cry, we'll be going home. I, uh, I can almost hear the trumpets um, and Gabriel sounds for his children, for the, God's children, and a dead in Christ shall rise, and we will meet him in the air. When it got to that, even right now, I just, I was trashed. And I said, God, I've forgotten this. I've forgotten that. That that day will come when you will issue that call, and we will go into eternal security with you. 
Never again have to have tears of, of sorrow and sadness and pain and sickness. It's all going to be wiped away. And all the ones that I know that I love that, are, that, are, that have gone on before because they loved you are going to be there, and I will be reunited with them. But more than that, I'm going to see you. I'm going to see you. Grasp this, people. Grasp it. We're going to see him. The last verse and we're done. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. <clears throat> Let me back up. In verse 33, the word alert, it means this. It says to take heed and keep on the alert. The alert is different than this word here in the Greek. The first one in verse 33, it means this. It means to go sleepless. It means to be fully awake. We're supposed, our hearts and our spirit and our, and our love for God is to go sleepless till he returns. But here, it says this, but I say stay on the alert. That means this, it means to keep watch. It's the word Gregorio. If your name's Greg, that's where your name came from. Okay? It's the word Gregorio. And it means this, it means to keep watch, to be alert, to means to be awake. It means constantly vigilant, waiting for Christ to return. That's how we're supposed to live. Doing what he's called us to do, but always vigilant that he's coming back and waiting for him, being ready for him. Is your heart ready for the return of Christ? The return of the Lord Jesus Christ represents the very pinnacle of human history. It is our blessed hope, Titus chapter 2. It's our sincere longing, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. And it's our eager expectation, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 7. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10. It's our, all of this is for every believer. Our blessed hope, our sincere longing, and our eager expectation for every believer. Now, what I want you to do real quick is turn to these passages in your Bible. They're all in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Look at it with me real quick. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Now as to the times and the epochs, meaning the seasons, brethren... You have no need, of anything, uh, no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord, which is his second coming, will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, the destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, meaning the believers, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, meaning dead or alive, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are doing. Turn to Titus. Just a couple of books over. Chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, 
righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope. There it is. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for whose for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is, is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Starting verse 1, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. And you see that? He charged them by Jesus and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. For I am already poured out as a drink offering. This is Paul talking. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, meaning his coming, and will not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Last one, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Saints, the time is short. Jesus Christ is coming again. Life and history are moving forward to him because life and history belongs to him, and he wrote it. The call is for us to be alert and watch for his return. Knowing when the master might return is not our concern. Faithful service with a fixed hope is what matters. Let me ask you something. Do you believe he's coming back? Do you believe he is your hope? Do you believe that he is Lord? Do you believe? But here's the thing. 
do you have this hope fixed in you? I hope you heard me this morning. I know it was, I didn't probably do a great job, but it was kind of a different type of message. Because you don't hear about the second coming again. You don't hear about it anymore. It's like you don't hear too much about sin anymore and about repentance anymore. He's coming back. And the sad part about it is this, is that if we're not ready, meaning if you aren't saved, if you're not born again, if you're not born again, it's going to be terrible. But if you're born again, you've accepted Christ and his atonement, it's going to be wonderful. Where do you stand today? Do you have this hope fixed in you? Let's pray.